Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shelley. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Red Mom, Blue Mom podcast. We're two moms on different sides of the political aisle, discussing politics, current events, and social issues. We started this podcast because we want to encourage conversations on tough issues and show that you can have a respectful, productive dialogue even when you disagree. It's hard to believe, but you can actually still be friends with someone with whom you have very different political opinions. Please know that Shelley and I aren't experts on the various topics that we discuss, although we do our best to be informed and accurate. We also share our reference material on our website at redmombluemom.com. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. This is Blue Mom Shelley, and today we're talking about white supremacy and whether it's a global threat. Last month, on March 15th, 2019, a white supremacist with semi-automatic weapons arrived at two mosques in New Zealand and killed 49 people, injuring many more. The dead included children, parents, grandparents. This horrific shooting in New Zealand follows others around the world, including last fall's shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue killing 11, and in the same week a shooting at a black church in Charleston, South Carolina killing 9, a 2012 um, Sikh massacre in Wisconsin killing 6, the Norwegian white supremacist terrorist attack in 2011 that killed 77, and others. There was also the white nationalist Coast Guard lieutenant in Maryland a couple months ago who plotted to kill various left-leaning politicians and media figures. We recently did a whole episode on hate crimes where we talked about the thousands and thousands of hate crimes that occur in the United States every year. In my view, there is a rising threat from these white nationalists, and they are now committing most of the acts of terror in the United States. I don't know what one should call this evil, whether it's white nationalism, white supremacy, Christian extremism, um, fascism, terrorism, white terrorism. Caitlin, how do you think we should refer to these tragedies? And do you agree with me that this is a serious global problem? So I I think that certainly these examples of white supremacy um, and white supremacism are terrible, of course. Um, I don't think anyone would, of course, disagree with that. Are they a global problem, though? I'm not sure. I know that they get quite a bit of attention. And I think when these incidents happen, as you know, with some of the examples that you just mentioned with New Zealand, um, or examples that have happened in the US over the last couple of years, uh, I still think that those are fringe groups. I don't know that those represent uh, a growing threat in terms of the size of numbers of members of those white supremacist or other nationalist organizations. And when I when I say that, I include other groups that maybe black nationalists or other, you know, racially kind of centric organizations. Um, I know that the I think it's the Southern Poverty Law Center. There's been quite a bit of an attention over the last couple of weeks uh, over some data that they release every year, and they talk about how white nationalists hate groups are on the rise. And the headline that I saw was, hey, they have risen by 50% over the last year. Uh, That's true, technically, but when you look at the data, the number of white nationalist hate groups that SPLC was counting in 2017 was 100. And then as of 2018, that number went up to 148. So is it a 50% increase? Technically, yes, but still a relatively small number. And I should add that that number of 148 is significantly less than the number of black nationalists 
nationalist hate groups uh, that the SPLC tracks. So, you know, your question, is this a growing threat? Is it a global threat? I do think that you can look at the numbers and say that there is a rise in white nationalism in terms of the number of groups. What's interesting about the SPLC data, though, is that it doesn't track the number of members of those organizations. So, you know, there may be 148 organizations, but do each of those groups have thousands of members? Probably not. Um, And so I think, you know, regardless if you're looking at white nationalism or black nationalism, you know, I would still generally consider these, you know, fringe groups that I don't know that they should be our number one priority right now. Well, I think that they have many more than thousands of members. And, you know, I think that's evident based on the rise of these, this way of thinking in Europe as well. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm wondering if you don't think that it's a global problem whether you think that way about groups like ISIS or Al-Qaeda. And the reason I ask that is apparently these white supremacist killers tend to be loners, much like uh, the terrorists we've seen inside ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and that they follow certain, or I'm sorry, the supporters of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, they follow certain false narratives online, they become radicalized. So for example, uh, like ISIS, ISIS incorrectly tells its followers that there's a Western war on Islam. Um, and that's similar to the white supremacist rhetoric, also false, also designed to invoke fear. Uh, the New Zealand uh, Shooters Manifesto was all about so-called invaders or the invasion um, of immigrants into uh, white countries. And uh, he talks a lot about this so-called replacement ideology. This is a fear that immigrants of color are pouring into historically white countries and that the demographics are changing so much that people of color will eventually replace whites. And so they believe that uh, their culture will be replaced with a different culture. There's actually a Washington Post article dated March 15th, 2019, posted on redmombluemom.com on how uh, the white supremacist is a social movement. It's fueled by this idea of the invasion of immigrants. Um, And the article talks about this fear and the replacement of white people by immigrants and people of color and the white supremacist rhetoric that one should really be afraid of this invasion. The article talks about uh, the fear of replacement of white people, and it says that it's really the white man's destiny and responsibility to literally fight back. That's a lot like the ISIS message that, uh, that, that goes out to its followers, the idea that they're supposed to fight back on this purported war against Islam. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea around trying to make an analogy between white supremacy and ISIS. I agree with your assessment that in both instances, the organizers or leaders of those groups are spreading fear and hate and uh, false stories specifically designed to gin up more hatred and fear and and often, often violence as well. Um, so I do think that's an interesting analogy. And I know that there's been data that shows that, I think there was an article I read, I can't remember the exact source, but it talked about really if you're an American, you are more likely to be hurt or killed by a white nationalist than you are a member of ISIS. And I thought that that was a really interesting perspective. And and certainly over the last couple of years with these various uh, events that have happened, you know, going back to even before Trump was in office, you know, the Dylan Roof shooting of the uh, African-American church and then, you know, so on and so forth over the last couple of years. Um, I think the numbers do show, right, that more 
Americans have been killed by white supremacists, uh, at least over the last couple of years, than by ISIS. So I think that's an interesting analogy, and I think they do employ some of the same the same tactics. And I do think you're right that there is a rise in this idea of nationalism, regardless if it's specifically white supremacy or not, even in Europe. And, and you're also right that the New Zealand manifesto um, from that shooter uh, referenced some of those, you know, perceived threats, right, of multiculturalism and uh, reduction of whites as the minority. But, but even with all of that, I still think that that is not a mainstream viewpoint, at least in America, that most Americans would hold, right? I, I think that is, even though it may be on the rise, depending on the data points that you look at and subscribe to, I still don't think that represents a, a majority viewpoint on behalf of many Americans. I, I don't necessarily think that you think it is a majority viewpoint either. I just still think that that's a fringe opinion. I think it's existed for decades. Um, this idea of white supremacy has been around for a long time. You know, is it on the rise since Trump's presidency? And is it at all bolstered by what some consider to be his racist rhetoric? I think that's an interesting conversation as well. And Shelley, I don't know what you think about that. What do you think about Trump's role, if any, in this increase in white supremacy? Yeah, I think, uh, now I don't think that Trump caused this attack or any attack like this, but I do think that his ideas... Uh, are inspired by the same ideas that white supremacy espouses. Um, white supremacists think that Donald Trump is a white supremacist, you know. Um, and as uh, Trevor Noah said recently, if Beyonce and Justin Timberlake think I'm a good dancer, then maybe I'm a good dancer. Um, so if the white supremacists think that Donald Trump is a white supremacist, I think that's a problem. Maybe he is. Um, you know, I... I I'm concerned with with uh, with some of the rhetoric that that Donald Trump has has used surrounding this. When when he was asked to condemn the attacks, he did condemn the attack. However, he then followed up with some statements on immigration, and he again used the word invasion. I think it was the same day as these New Zealand attacks. He's getting his supporters, which there are millions of in America, to believe in this idea that there's a sort of scary invasion occurring, an invasion of immigrants. And he said that day, he said something like, people don't want to call it an invasion, but that's what it is. And I thought that was awful and really a call out to the white supremacist base of his. Yeah, but I have a different perspective on that as you touch on this idea of using the word invasion and immigration. Uh, again, I completely denounce any white supremacy. For me, this issue of immigration and being concerned around, and we've talked about this before on our episode around illegal immigration, I have what I think are legitimate concerns around immigration policy, specifically around illegal immigration. And when we see things happening, like the recent caravan that was coming up from Central and South America la last November, you see you know, pictures at the border of people trying to uh, you know, breach the, the border barriers. You see, you know, news stories of illegal immigrants or, or likely Ill illegal immigrants, you know, throwing rocks or, or otherwise, you know, demonstrating violence against um, American Border Patrol. You know, is it an invasion, quote unquote? I'm not sure. Perhaps that word is a little bit hyperbolic and inflammatory. But I think it is okay, at least from my perspective, it is okay and legitimate to be concerned about immigration 
policy in the United States, specifically illegal immigration, and not be a white supremacist. For me, the issue is around immigration policy and maintaining our borders as a sovereign nation. It's My concern is not around, oh my gosh, we're going to see a reduction in the number of white folks in the U.S. And so I, I think sometimes there is a, a conflation of those two ideas done in part to demonize Trump and often demonize his supporters. But I can say for myself as a Republican and a conservative and a Trump voter, you know, I'm not supporting immigration policy and, and reduction of illegal immigration because I'm a white supremacist. Do you, do you know what I mean? Those, those to me are different issues. Now, I, I can see why white supremacists take a hold of that policy focus and, and this discussion around illegal immigration to kind of strengthen their position. I can understand why they do that, but I don't think the reverse is true. Just because someone supports stronger immigration policies, stronger efforts to combat illegal immigration does not make one a white supremacist. That's true, but you know why, again, why is Trump using the word invasion to sort of spark it, it's a it's a word that sparks fear amongst his supporters yeah but i think i think and and again i you know regular listeners to our podcast know that i i always hate being in a position to try and defend trump because the way that he says things and the words that he uses often i don't like at all but you know is invasion that much of a stretch where again you have caravans of people who are clearly trying to come into the u.s regardless of if they're doing it legally or Im- illegally and again like i said you have stories and images of people at the border trying to climb our walls, trying to get into our country by illegal means, you know, is invasion a little bit strong? Maybe, but it's also not that far-fetched. So I don't think using the word invasion is necessarily that far off uh, of what's happening in, uh, in some instances. So I just think that's, you know, we talked about this in our immigration episode. I think if there was a legitimate concern about the effects of immigration on um, wages or jobs, I can understand that. But the villainization of the immigrant themselves, as opposed to the employer that's maybe hiring the immigrant, um, or the employer who's moving jobs overseas, which is the bigger cause of deflated wages. Um, If that was a legitimate concern, I understand that. But this idea of vilification of uh, the immigrants themselves uh, and calling them invaders, that is just, in my mind, um, wrong. And it, it fuels this, what I think is a is a racist um, racist view of of innocent immigrants. I mean, for white white supremacists, if there again, if there was legitimate concern that they were losing jobs or that their poor economic situation could be blamed on Im- immigrants, that would be one thing. But I don't think that that's what they think. I think that I doubt that many, if any, white supremacists have lost their job to an immigrant. Um, I think what they're what they are is just racist and hateful. Well, and I agree with you there, of course. I think white supremacists have it all wrong, right? <clears throat> Their way of thinking is not something I, I agree with. I think it's ridiculous uh, in, all, in all forms. But I, I do want to just touch on what you just said around vilification of, quote, innocent immigrants. And I know we have a whole separate topic of, or excuse me, a whole separate episode on illegal immigration. We don't need to rehash that here. But I, I do think the words matter. 
innocent immigrant to me paints a much different picture than what's happening. And what's happening in many instances is people are trying to come into our country illegally. If you try to come into our country illegally, or frankly, any other country illegally, in my view, you are no longer a quote unquote, innocent immigrant. You are now a criminal trying to break the laws of that country that you're going into. So do I agree that we should not vilify all immigrants as um, as dangerous and rapists and gang members as as Trump has done in the past, and I think that's terrible that he's done that, of course. But I also think, let's call it what it is, not all of these people trying to come into the U.S. are doing so uh, with with a good heart and good intention, and frankly, often they're not following the law. So I, I, have, a, I have a problem with labeling them all as innocent immigrants. I don't think that that's a fair or accurate assessment. Well, I disagree, and again, we talked about that in our immigration episode, but there's no, um, there's no legal way almost no legal way to enter the United States. So by saying that they're not innocent or that they are breaking the law, you're basically saying, you know, that all of them are that um, because there is no, uh, almost no legal way to enter the United States. What's interesting about the New Zealand Shooters Manifesto, and again, this manifesto, keep in mind, it's written to radicalize others and to get other, recruit other white supremacists. So um, I don't want to give it much credit, but it is interesting that he he traveled first around Europe before he committed these murders, and he visited various sites that he thought represent, you know, historical battles between white people and, and, and Muslims. And he says in his manifesto, quote, For many years I had been hearing and reading of the invasion of France by non-whites, but once I arrived in France, I found the stories not only to be true, but profoundly understated. Um, you see here, he's trying to invoke the same fear in people that radicalized him. He titles his manifesto, The Great Replacement, which is uh, actually a reference to a 2012 book by right-wing French presidential candidate, uh, Renaud Camus, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, but in that book, Camus espouses this theory that Europe's white majority is being replaced by African immigrants, many of whom are Muslim. And uh, when, after the shooting, reporters caught up with Camus, and while he, like Trump, said that he condemned the attacks, he also took the opportunity to add there is, quote, ethnic substitution that is taking progress in my country, and he encouraged a counter-revolt. So again, like other white supremacists, he's telling people they need to stand up and fight back. Similarly, Australian Senator Fraser Anning condemned the attacks, but used the same opportunity to say, quote, the real cause of bloodshed on the New Zealand streets today is the immigration problem, which allowed Muslim fanatics to migrate to New Zealand in the first place. When I read these statements by politicians, I think, wow, much like what Donald Trump is, this the same idea of, of immigration that he's this fear that he's trying to invoke, uh, it really plays on what is already some people's racist tendencies. Another European politician is Hungary's far-right Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Uh, he said after the shooting that he was proud of Hungarians for stopping, quote, at our southern borders, the migrant invasion directed at Europe. Then in addition to blaming George Soros for the European refugee crisis, he said, quote, without the protection of our Christian culture, we will lose Europe and Europe will no longer belong to the Europeans. Uh, and you see that's the same us versus them language that Al-Qaeda uses. Um, the Dutch government just recently lost to a nationalist party. There are many other growing nationalist movements in Europe, including Brexit. Uh, we've posted an article, a 2008 article on redmombluemom.com entitled, Europe and Nationalism, a Country-by-Country Country Guide. 
you know, when you say are these just a few people, I think it's millions and millions of people that are following this nationalist uh, sort of rhetoric. But most disturbing to me as an American was our President Trump when he said what, you know, what I just quoted and when took the opportunity after the shooting to use this word invasion um, with respect to to immigration. It's playing on these same fears. It's this us versus them mentality. And again, if it's a real concern about invasion, uh, I'm sorry, a real concern about immigration, jobs, wages, then that's a different discussion. But I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just plain racism. Yeah, I think you and I maybe disagree a little bit there, but I am curious to know from you, Shelley. So as we talk about this concept of nationalism, and you gave some examples of Europe, and many of our listeners may know, um, you know, in the UK, and you just mentioned Brexit as an example, about 10 or 12 years ago, there was an interesting book that came out called London Stan, And it was basically a play on words talking about kind of the influx of Muslims into London and kind of the London metropolitan area, probably the UK in general, they just use London um, for the title, and just talking about how that influx of, of immigrants, I don't know if it was legal or illegal or probably a mix of both, but how that was basically changing the, the culture of London. Um, similar stories have come out in other parts of Europe, as you just referenced. I know Sweden is another good example where there's been quite a few stories over the last 12 to 24 months about how the, the culture is changing. So, as we talk about nationalism, and I think nationalism gets kind of an automatically a bad connotation, especially in the context of white supremacy, as we're talking about today, do you think there's any legitimacy to people, Americans, Brits, whomever, do you think there's any legitimate concern around how the culture, the language, kind of what makes a country a country, some of those things that are hard to define, do you think there's legitimate concern that's being maybe negatively described as nationalism around people being worried about how their country uh, may be changed because of an influx of um, immigrants, be it Muslim or uh, or otherwise? Is, is that a legitimate thing, do you think? Or do you, is that just in the spirit of multiculturalism and that's a great thing overall? I don't think there's any legitimacy there. I think that the underlying feeling that people are having um, that you just referenced is is actually a sort of racist feeling. I think that that it's rooted in this mistaken belief that they view, some of those people view their culture, really they view it as white. They have a belief somehow that that is that their background or their what, they're, what, they're, what you're referring to as culture is somehow superior to that of people of other racial backgrounds. I think that's just rooted in common racism, which has been around for a long time and will continue to be around, uh, especially if it's not acknowledged. I think that people have an unreasonable or illogical belief that there's actually something different about someone with a different racial background other than different amounts of melanin in their skin. So I think... um, the perpetuation of any sort of idea that there is anything superior or better about white European culture is actually just a racist idea that's ultimately based on that same fallacy. And I think the sooner that we acknowledge that, the better it is for all of us. Yeah, I am, gosh, I just could not disagree with you more. 
it's interesting to me that I asked the question around, you know, if people are concerned about their culture changing, is that is that a bad thing? Is that a legitimate concern? And you pulled in the racist thing, uh, the racist element rather, and, and have redefined my question a little bit to be, uh, is white European culture a bad thing? I, I think it, you would be hard pressed to find, at least in, in the modern era, over the last couple of decades, places like London, uh, certainly most places in the U.S., I mean, they are highly diverse. Um, not just from a, a racial skin tone perspective, but from a from a religious perspective and other elements as well. I think for you to somewhat, you know, paint this broad brush that, hey, if you are concerned about the changing culture of your country or the, the what makes your country a country from a sovereign nation perspective, that you are uh, have some deep-rooted racist tendencies, I think that's a, a real stretch. And I, I don't but think... Why is that? Why is that a stretch? I mean, what culture are you referring to? I mean, we... So, with the... London is very diverse, as you point out, um, but if it's more and more diverse is what they're facing, right? And that might be what fueled Brexit a little bit, the feelings behind Brexit. If it's more and more diverse, meaning a greater number of, um, let's say, Muslims uh, living there, you know, they're from different places in the world, maybe speaking different languages, but is that really it? Is it that the fear that a different language is going to replace, you know, your language? What part of culture uh, is it that that people are worried about? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a fair question. I mean, do I have concerns personally about do we at some point kind of lose English language as a as a common connector as Americans? Sure, I worry about that a little bit, right? I mean, I think we already have seen, you know, it's very common, of course, to go and find materials that are bilingual English and Spanish. I don't know. Is that the right thing to do? I appreciate trying to accommodate people that don't speak our language, but I will tell you from my experience living overseas, that doesn't usually happen in other countries. And what I mean by that is in Luxembourg is an example where I lived with my family, a small country, granted, but arguably pretty diverse. You know, materials that came home from my from my kids' public schools, they were in French and German. They didn't provide an English language version, even though there's a, a very large English-speaking and American kind of expat base in Luxembourg those kind of concerns around is your culture defined as language or tradition or maybe dominant, you know, uh, dominant religion? Um, you know, are you moving from a, a Christianity kind of based culture into a an Islam based culture as an example? I, I think it's okay to be concerned about that and have some conversation about that without being labeled a racist and without being labeled, coming back to our topic today, without being labeled a white supremacist. Those to me are are not are not necessarily one and the same. Doesn't it just inherently, if you're worried about an influx in, let's say, a different religion or something like that, if that's the real concern, isn't that just a way of saying I find that religion to be inferior? Because otherwise, why worry about it? Let's say that there was a legitimate fear. I don't think there is. Let's say there was a legitimate fear that um, people from other places are sort of going to take over in the sense of the numbers growing so much that, that they become the majority. If there's nothing inferior about that person's race, religion, culture, then why the worry? 
I don't think it's about having another religion, let's use that example, as being inferior. So let's take example, you know, Christianity versus Islam, and I'm, I'm certainly no expert in Islam. Um, but if you live in a country that is historically, and even in modern day, predominantly Christian-based, regardless of what version of Christianity it may be. So think about the UK, think about the US, think about many European nations. I don't think that people are necessarily looking at Islam as an inferior religion. I don't think it has to do with being superior or inferior, but I do think there can be legitimate conversation to be had around, hey, do we want to change the the fabric of our, of our culture and our society from a Christian-based you know, society into one that is embracing and adhering to Islamic tenets. I think that that is a legitimate conversation to say. It's not saying that Islam is is worse. It's not saying that it's inferior in any way. But I think it is acknowledging the the historical establishment of some of these, you know, quote unquote, Western countries in Europe or otherwise. But the only thing historical about that is that the Christians were a majority or are a majority. You know, at what point did anyone decide that it's a Christian country? I don't, I don't agree that that has happened. I don't agree that we've all, I don't agree that we've all subscribed to that. Christian majority, yes. And, and if that's changing because of the demographics, or slowly people think that it will change, then what you're talking about is numbers and demographics. I don't understand the concern at all, unless there accompanies it a concern that that religion is inferior, that race is inferior, that language is inferior. By the way, in the United States, you mentioned Spanish. I've always been surprised to hear this idea that that a different language could take over. I don't, I can't envision that ever happening here. I've never seen any uh, indication that that would happen. And the fact that a manual or a an ATM instructions or whatever is is also available in Spanish, I can't figure out how that invokes a concern that the Spanish language is going to take take over. I again I, I I just can't see any rational thinking behind this that's not based on a belief that this other so-called culture, language, race, religion is inferior. Yeah, I just disagree with you there. And I, I don't I don't to be clear on the language thing, I'm not saying that I think Spanish is going to take over in the in the United States, but I do think the idea of uh, you know, part of what defines I think a country uh, and a culture is a common language, and I think that in the instance of the US where we are um, so readily making it easy to live here and work here and interact from a society perspective without having to learn our common language, I don't know that that's the right thing to do necessarily. I, I do strongly believe that common language is one of the things that makes a, a nation a nation, and and I think that's important for um, for people to to speak a common language, and and I think that's an important piece of that fabric. But I don't think anyone's trying to change that. No, but would you agree that we make it exceptionally easy if you don't want to speak English in the U.S., and let's use Spanish as an example, because that's certainly the, the, the biggest kind of secondary language that is, that's used here, would you agree that we make it exceptionally easy to, to live and, and work here no. if you don't speak English? No. I, really? I, I don't think, I think unless you um, maybe are retired maybe some uh, an older person and you don't have to engage with anyone other than your immediate family members 
otherwise I think everyone who's here and working and either going to school or working or engaging in society would ha- has a very difficult time if they're not um, versed in English. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think from from a government kind of public entity perspective, and certainly most private companies, uh, I think you can find Spanish language materials. You can speak with people in Spanish. Most American most American companies that I've worked for, at least, have Spanish language customer service, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I disagree with you that it's not easy to live in the U.S. if you don't speak English and you only speak yes, Spanish. But you you have a concern that we're making it too easy for people? Well, I think you're losing the common language, right? I think there there should be an incentive and a desire and an interest to learn the language of the country that you're living in. And I think it's fair and legitimate to expect people that want to live in the U.S. to, to learn our language. That's that's part of what makes being an American and having the American experience, that's that's part of what I think is the fabric of our, of our culture is our common language. I think, you know, expecting people to learn a language is one thing and being offended by uh, materials available in Spanish is is different and unnecessary and doesn't doesn't follow. But, you know, some of these ideas are are similar to what people in positions like Trump, some of these politicians in Europe who are nationalists. I think that all of these ideas including the the fear and language that we were just discussing, are part of a um, greater rhetoric that ultimately relies on this fallacy that I mentioned about skin color um, and sometimes religion, this false uh, this false belief that there is something better about our so-called culture, which, you know, again, I, I think it's a, a white culture is what, is what people are referring to. Yeah, and I just I look at it totally differently. I think I think believing and supporting uh, quote unquote American culture or British culture or French culture or Japanese culture or Indian culture, any country, I think if you are a citizen of that country and you believe in the you believe in the spirit, you believe in the 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 goodness, you believe in the 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 culture of your nation you can do that and believe in that without thinking other cultures, other religion, other races are inferior. Those to me are not, um, you can do both. I I think just because I believe personally that America is the greatest country in the world, I think we have uh, an amazing way of life for most people. I think we offer amazing opportunity. I really believe in America's greatness that doesn't mean that I think others are inferior. You know, I have I have been lucky to travel around the world, and I think there is uh, goodness and interesting aspects and great things about cultures all around the world. And I can still think that, but yet still think that America is is the best. And I feel lucky to be an American. I agree. I I totally agree that American culture is fantastic, and I think we're all so lucky to be here. But the idea of nationalism both in Europe and in America uh, white nationalism is it's it's the idea that the the change in the makeup here really the demographics the the color is what we're really talking about um, and religion uh, is changing and that's what many of these these leaders are invoking fear with suggesting that that's not okay and, and it and it makes people afraid and it's millions of people that are following that rhetoric. 
So I think that the idea of nationalism very quickly can get into what is white nationalism. Yeah, but again, let's come back to the numbers, right? I mean, if, if I, I completely disagree that you would find millions of Americans that are concerned about um, the changing color, as you put it, of the United States. And let's go back to that data from the SPLC that we talked about in the beginning. You know, SPLC, which I don't personally think is a, a very legitimate organization. I know we probably disagree on that, but let's just take their numbers for face value, they, in their own analysis, have only identified 148 national hate groups. That, to me, is not a majority. That, to me, does not represent millions of Americans, as you're positing, that are concerned about the changing racial makeup of Americas. I think most Americans are good people. They see people for what they are. They they see people past the, the color of their skin. Uh, I think it is completely unfair and inaccurate to demonize millions of people in America as just flat-out racist because they support immigration policy or, or things like that, I don't think that that is a, the right thing to do at all. Well, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm not saying that anyone who supports uh, changes in immigration policy is racist. I'm saying that these ideas that Trump is espousing and that other politicians in Europe, nationalist politicians, are espousing and that seem to have a greater and greater number of followers because, you know, these governments are changing in Europe and they have changed here now with Trump's election. Uh, I'm saying that those people are speaking out to these tendencies in many people, uh, not certainly not everyone, um, and I'm not accusing anyone of being racist, but there, there is a lot of racism. I'll bet we could agree on that. There are many racist people, uh, and these leaders are reaching out to them and, you know, invoking these fears of loss of culture, um, you know, that you articulated. They're invoking those fears in people. And uh, I think that behind that is is really an idea that the existing racial makeup is superior than what it would be if, if, uh, if these changes continue to happen. These nationalist leaders and uh, media, I can't see how they're not uh, invoking racist tendencies in people. Yeah, I guess we just look at it differently. But I, I think, and I say that because I am one of those people that is concerned about some of the changing cultural dynamics here in the U.S. And I think we've seen changing cultural dynamics in other parts of the world. You know, I am one of those people that is very concerned about immigration policy. We've talked about before that illegal immigration is one of my top issues as a conservative voter. But neither of those areas of focus for me uh, I, I don't think illustrate any racist tendencies that I have personally. And it just, it feels like, and perhaps I'm misunderstanding you or misinterpreting what you're saying, but it feels like you are making a connection there. Um, and that's what I'm reacting to because I, I am not a racist person. I'm not, I'm not concerned about the changing color of America. Um, I certainly don't ascribe to any of these white supremacist ideas. I think they are terrible full stop, but yet I still have concerns about some of the things that we've obviously articulated today. And yet, uh, you know, I don't think that that makes me a racist. And I don't think it makes other people that have those concerns as well. I don't think we should label them as racist, uh, you know, out of the gate. Yeah, I understand that. I think, I think we just disagree that the underlying, uh, the underlying motivation behind some of these fears and ideas is, in essence, racist. 
All right, Shelley, as we wrap up, I know we started today's topic focused on white supremacy, and we've talked a lot about some other uh, ancillary issues, especially around immigration, which is always a hot topic. Uh, Listeners, if you want to hear more about immigration, we do have a whole separate episode dedicated to that subject. Um, But Shelley, I think it's very clear you and I are both in complete agreement that any sort of racism uh, or white supremacy, or frankly, any racial supremacy, white or otherwise, is, is bad. That's not a good thing. It's not something that either of us ascribe to, and and I think majority of Americans at least don't ascribe to that ideology. Um, So that's really clear. But what I did think was interesting about our conversation was this idea of nationalism. And I think you and I do disagree on, you know, my view of nationalism uh, versus your view. And I think you uh, are really making that connection between nationalism having at its core uh, either some racial undertones or at least a feeling of being superior to other cultures or religions or races, um, and, and that that ties into kind of this nationalist movement that we're seeing happening in different parts of the world. I don't necessarily make that same connection. I think you can believe in things like immigration policy, which I know you believe in as well, but I think you can believe in immigration policy. You can believe in the importance of having a strong uh, national identity, be that American or otherwise, and, and not have it be tied to uh, racism in particular. So I think we have different views on what nationalism means. I think that accurately accurately summarizes our views on this. Caitlin, thanks so much. It's always fun discussing these things with you. And thanks to our listeners. And we look forward to our next next episode. Yes. And listeners, please share us if you have friends and family that you think might be interested in Red Mom, Blue Mom. We would love to uh, have more listeners to the podcast. We enjoy producing this and creating this for you. As always, you can also interact with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also email us at redmombluemompodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon.